today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Revelation. I'm going to uh, read through chapter 12, and I don't know how many segments this is going to take, but it's a lot of material, so we'll just kind of work through it. So I'm going to read through the chapter, give some points of overview, and then just kind of walk through key sections or elements of the chapter. So let's read uh, Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, and under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth, in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his heads, seven diadems his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child he might devour it she gave birth to a male child one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron but her child was caught up to god and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she, where she has a place prepared by God uh, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the, of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have, become, have come for the accuser of our brothers has thrown has has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love their lives they love not their lives even unto death therefore rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them but woe to you O earth and sea for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly, uh, she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman uh, after the woman to sweep away to sweep her away with the flood but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river and the dragon uh, that the dragon had poured from his mouth then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war uh, on the rest of her offspring on, on those who keep the commandments of God 
and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, as we noted uh, last week, the language and the imagery in association with the, uh, the seventh trumpet hints towards um, final judgment and final reward, in which case you would expect the following, uh, what follows the scene that we see at the end of chapter 11, you would really expect what is described for us in greater detail in, verse, in chapters 18 through 22, where we have a final reckoning of evil and then the description of a renewed earth and the people of God and the eternal bliss and fellowship between Christ and the redeemed. But that's not what you see. So even though the seventh trumpet prepares you for that, what we get instead is another cycle of visions that are aimed at showing the sufferings and the conflicts of the church from different uh, vantage points than what we've already seen. Uh, to reiterate, what follows is a restatement of the, uh, of the sufferings, the persecutions of the church, but it's, it's cast in a slightly different light. So in approaching this, this content, uh, I want to begin with three overarching thoughts. First off, we begin with an overview of the theme for the entire chapter. So the theme for the entire chapter in chapter 12 is the conflict between the woman and the dragon. Now that's shown to us in various places, but you notice that um, chapter 12 opens with the description of the woman and the dragon, and then it closes with the conflict between the woman and the dragon. So that is the essential theme of the entire chapter. The second overarching thought here is that this battle, this conflict between the woman and the dragon is seen from an earthly perspective, verses 1 through 6, and from a heavenly perspective uh, in verses 7 through 12. So it's really, and Dennis Johnson is helpful here, it's really about two visions. The first one is seen in verses 1 through 6, and then from 7 through the end of the chapter is really a, the same vision. But it's two vantage points of this, this conflict. We see it from the vantage point of the earth, and then we see it from a heavenly perspective. And the third overarching thought is this. In verses 13 through 17, even though it's a continuation of the second vision, it's really a sequel to the first part of the vision, or the first vision. So, for instance, verses 13 through 17, if you picked up, uh, if you read from verse 6, if you stopped at verse 6 and then skipped 7 through 12 and just went through, uh, went to, to verse 13, it would read in a continue, uh, it would sort of continue. So in other words, verse, um, verses 13 through 17 picks up on what is actually introduced in verse 6. And for that reason, it kind of gives us a different understanding of what takes place in that middle vision. And I admit, I, for one, in the past, 
have always looked at, or not always, but for a number of years, I looked at that middle vision, verses 7 through 12, as a portrayal of things that took place before creation. But if we see it in this way, that verses 7 through 12 is showing from a heavenly perspective the same dynamic that's portrayed in verses 1 through 6, then it makes more sense of what takes place in the sequel in verses 13 through 17. So that's the, the, the overall arching theme of uh, chapter 12 is the conflict, uh, the war between the woman and the dragon. This theme is set forth in two visions, uh, showing, it, showing it to us from two perspectives, an earthly and then a heavenly perspective. The bottom part of the chapter is a reiteration of the, the top part. Now, with that in mind, let's begin to unpack it. And here's where we begin. We begin with identifying the combatants. We begin with identifying the combatants, and therefore we begin with who is this woman. Now, some, some commentators make... Um, make a point to stress that because it's used so infrequently throughout the book of Revelation that and we see it yet twice here where he says and I saw a sign uh, and and the sign is this woman so John says I see a sign so who is this woman uh, Dennis Johnson notes that the woman ultimately is the the mother of the Messiah and that's made clear actually when you look at um, when you look at verse three, um, yeah, verse in verse four. In verse four, it says, "And he swept uh, a third, or, or excuse me, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it." And then verse five, she gave birth to a male child. Who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. Now if that sounds familiar, it's because it's really a restatement of a portion of Psalms 2, which Jesus identifies with himself. So ultimately, what who this woman is, is, uh, and, and it does kind of pass from person to symbol, but ideally, primarily who this woman is, is the Messiah the mother of the Messiah. As such, there are a number of links and a, num a number of links and manifestations of this imagery, this, this woman. And it's three links in particular. One, we begin with the proto-euangelion in Genesis 3.15. The woman is a portrayal of the woman mentioned in Genesis 3.15, where it refers to the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. So um, that imagery is actually, it plays into this overall chapter to begin with. So the woman refers to the woman that's referenced in Genesis 3.15, not just a person, but a lineage and, and um, the fact that the Messiah would come 
would, would, would be of, of human, would be both divine and human. So the woman uh, that's portrayed in Revelation 12 can be connected to the woman whose seed would crush the head of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. But also, secondly, uh, the promised seed of Abraham would be con uh, would be a continuation of the seed promise of Genesis 3:15 therefore what God does with calling Abraham and making a nation out of Abraham God provides a lineage through which the woman the seed of the woman would be born in that case the woman also is to be connected with national Israel as the people of God. Uh, the Lord refers to national Israel as his firstborn, but national Israel, because it's through that lineage, that, that linkage to, or that lineage with, with Abraham, uh, through which the seed would be established. So the woman, in that instance, would be the, 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 the family tree from which the seed would, uh, would come. And then thirdly, in, in a very personal and direct way, the woman in Revelation 12 also corresponds to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So you see the, the, the connection. We have this, the seed of the woman that's referenced in Genesis 3.15 indicating the, the physical uh, human birth of the Messiah. So the woman that is to give birth, it's, and, and remember we've talked about this in the past in going over uh, Genesis, where Eve, when she gives birth to Cain, she thinks she has given birth to the, some have, have suggested that she thinks she's given birth to the promise that's, that's mentioned in Genesis 3.15. Instead, it's actually the reverse. She's given that the firstborn is the one who is the seed of the serpent. But in any event, the, 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 trans, um, the transition, the progressive transition uh, of that, that seed promise is the woman in, in Revelation 12 corresponds to the woman whose seed would crush the head of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. National Israel is what gives family lineage to that seed. And then Mary is the ultimate fulfillment of that seed. Um, now, that brings us then to the dragon. Who is the red dragon? Well, verse 9 identifies the dragon as the ancient serpent. Again, another reference to Genesis 3.15, or Genesis 3. But he's referred to as the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. Uh, the deceiver of the whole world. And certainly that was one of the means by which he was able to tempt uh, Eve, uh, that he deceived her. Now, just as there are variations of the woman, beginning with uh, the promise that's first given to Eve as the mother of the living, uh, and then it extends to national Israel, and then ultimately fulfilled in the person of, uh, of Mary, there are also variations uh, in, in redemptive history of this dragon. Uh, ultimately, as we have already seen, 
the dragon is the serpent. So if we follow the seed, if we follow the, the, the line, um, the, the dragon is the seed of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the serpent. Um, also, in verse 7, we are told of the angel, verse 7 of, of Revelation 12, we are told of the angels of the dragon. And the angels of the dragon would refer to other demonic or angelic fallen angels. So uh, the, sea, the, the, the dragon is not just Satan, who we know that he is ultimately, but it is also the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent is portrayed and prophesied in Genesis 3 as the one that would always be at enmity with the people of God. We also know that the dragon, according to verse 7, he has other angels. So therefore, the third step here is that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says this. He says, we do not fight or wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So in answer to the question, who is the woman? We would say ultimately the woman is the one who gives birth to the Messiah, and we'll see a transition in a transformation also in that portion of the vision. But ultimately, it is Mary and all of those who are associated with, with preparing the way for the Messiah. And the dragon is Satan and all of those that he uses to carry out his plan against the woman. So now we've, we've seen the players. So having identified the combatants, we can now uh, we now must consider the reason for the conflict. Because we talked about the conflict, conflict is the dominant theme of this chapter. So what's the reason for the conflict? In verses four and five, we are told, uh, or John hears, that the intent of the dragon is to destroy the male child of the woman. And the male child of the woman is the Messiah. And this is, is manifest in various efforts. Uh, when we talk about the trends um, or the progression of the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So ultimately, what the serpent wants to do is first destroy the Messiah from coming forth. And in that regard, uh, in an effort to keep the Messiah from coming forth, we can see how the efforts of the dragon is manifest, for instance, with Cain and Abel. Seed of promise versus the seed of the woman, or the seed of the serpent. But we also see it manifestly in, in, uh, in, a, in a very pronounced sort of way in Egyptian bondage during the period of Moses' birth, where the Pharaoh 
because of his animosity towards the offspring of Joseph, he issues a mandate to kill all the male babies that were born to the Hebrews. That's an effort to wipe out the seed of the woman, even before it rises. In fact, you can go even further back in the book of Genesis when the Lord allows Joseph to be sold into slavery because of the coming famine. And when he gives a reason for the circumstances that led to his situation, he says so that God through him could keep many people alive, including the promised seed. So this, this effort to destroy the Messiah, it begins really, uh, in, it, it sort of explains redemptive history almost immediately after the fall. It is seen in, a, in very pronounced ways with efforts to kill the people of God. But then also it's, it's manifest um, or the ultimate uh, expression of this is, is also seen at the time of the birth of Jesus where Herod, uh, and, and you could say that what, what the Pharaoh in Egypt did in attempting to kill all the babies that were born to the Hebrews, he did it for his own reasons, not knowing that he's being used by the dragon to carry out the purposes of the evil one. And so he did it because he resisted or he resented the rise of and the influence of the Hebrews in the land of Egypt. Later, in the, uh, during the period of the birth of Christ, Herod does pretty much the same thing. Issues an edict for all baby boys under a certain age, born of Hebrews, to be killed. And again, he's not doing it because he's trying to do Satan's bidding. He's doing it because he resents, he knows, he believes the scriptures that there would be a Messiah. And if there is the, a Messiah that is born and the people believe that he is indeed the Messiah, then he perceived his own position and his own influence to be in jeopardy. So rather than to oppose one who is claimed to be the son of God, rather than to oppose him in his lifetime, he just simply wanted to kill him. But in both cases, even though they were operating from different motives, the Pharaoh in Egypt and Herod during the period of Jesus' birth is attempting to prevent the birth of the Messiah. That's what's on display in the first part, uh, verses 1 through 6 of, of Revelation 12. All of the machinations, all of the tools at his disposal that the dragon uses to prevent the birth of the Messiah. Now here's what we know from redemptive history. All of those efforts fail. So one aspect of his service or his, his animosity was to prevent the birth of the Messiah, but the Messiah was born. So now his efforts shift, having 
not prevented the birth of the Messiah, now what he attempts to do is to keep the, the Messiah who has been born, to keep him away from the cross. Bishop Fulton Sheen, who was the Roman Catholic um, priest, from what I understand, used to have a television show back in the 50s, uh, wrote a book entitled uh, The Temptation of Christ, and he makes this point, very uh, keen observation. He calls the temptation of Jesus three deviations from the cross. And his point was that the one thing that Satan, now that he had not been able to prevent his birth, now what he can do is to keep him from the cross. Uh, a couple things in that vein. Jesus, it wasn't just important for Jesus to die, but the manner in which he dies is in conjunction with an order that has been established by God himself. So Jesus' death in the streets, Jesus being stoned to death at a particular point in his earthly ministry would not have been the means that God had appointed or established by which he would die. Satan knows that. And so what Satan attempts to do is once, once Jesus has, bo has been born, once he's not been able to prevent his birth, now what he attempts to do is to keep him from the cross. So, therefore, in the temptation, Jesus goes and confronts him in the wilderness. And when Jesus resists, and our good friend Michael Horton has made a strong correlation between Jesus in the wilderness and Adam in the garden. And he says, whereas Adam in the garden, as our federal head, was tempted and failed and therefore turned the world into a wilderness for our redemption, Jesus comes into the wilderness and confronts the same one who tempted our forefathers and then he resists the temptation and therefore he is victorious. Now you, you remember that after the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus begins his earthly ministry by saying, repent. The reason is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's then that he begins to preach and teach and cast out demons because he has been victorious over the serpent in a way that our forefather wasn't. And so when people, uh, when the Pharisees said, oh, he cast out demons by Beelzebub. And then Jesus talks about how ridiculous that is. But then he says this. He says, when a strong man is in power, he holds everything that he has by his power. But when a stronger man comes, he overthrows the strong man and takes all that he had. And what that's the way he describes his healing that the sicknesses and the diseases are the effects of the strong man being in power, Satan. But now that he has resisted Satan, he comes and he denounces, he sets all those, he sets people free that were under the physical bondage of, of the evil one. And all of that was preparatory for his ultimate work on the cross. 
So, Satan, the, the, the aim of the conflict is for the serpent or Satan to prevent the birth of the Messiah. We see that manifest in the Old Testament and it's manifest in the New Testament. Having failed to present or prevent his birth, now Satan is attempting to keep him from the cross. Jesus being victorious in that manner, he's not able to keep him from the cross. So now what, is it, what does he attempt to do? Well, now he tries to keep the gospel. And by the way, let me back up. Uh, as another way of trying to keep Jesus from the cross, look at how Satan works. At Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus asks the question, who do, say, who do men say that I am? Peter answers, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which is to say that he's the Messiah. Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he begins to teach. Jesus begins to teach his disciples, because he's the Messiah, how it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, and to be crucified and then raised on the third day. Peter says, no, Lord, we will not let that happen to you. At which point Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are concerned about the things of men rather than the things of God. So Satan, through, it's not Peter trying to bow down and, and worship Satan. No, Peter, by not embracing what Christ says is necessary as a necessary part of his messiahship, Peter is participating in trying to keep Jesus from the cross at which point he would be carrying out the desires and the designs of the evil one. If you can't keep him from being born, then keep him from the cross. Well, we know that failed. So the next method then, or the next goal, if you can't keep him from being born and you can't keep him from the cross, then keep him from being preached. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those whose minds have been darkened by the God of this age. So, again, the intent is to keep him from being proclaimed. Good preacher um, years ago in commenting on uh, the conflict that first arose in the church in Acts chapter 2 after, after the day of Pentecost and uh, the religious leaders took the, the disciples in and said, okay, here's what we're going to do after receiving the counsel from Gamal. And, um, and, and, and so they said, okay, here's, we, we can't denounce them outright. People have already seen what they've done. So they called the disciples in and says, here's what, we, what we'll tell you. Okay, do whatever you need to do, but just don't preach in the name of Jesus. And that's when Peter issues the great statement that people have abused and confused down through the years uh, as a means for civil disobedience. And, we, and, and there is a time where we do need to stand in the words of Peter. We must obey God rather than men. Um, well, I don't even want to get sidetracked on that. But the point being, 
uh, the, the three, if the goal is to prevent the Messiah's birth, well, put it this way, let me back up. The, the, the means and the methods that are used in this combat between the dragon and the woman, the, 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 the purpose is to prevent the Messiah from being born. Having failed in that, and, and many means are used, many individuals in, are used as instruments to prevent his birth. Having failed in that regard, keeping from the cross, and the same way, many means are used to try to keep him from the cross, whether it's the one-on-one -on -one confrontation in the temptation, whether it's through the mouth of one of his trusted disciples, Many things are being used, even the effort to stone him. At certain points, when Jesus te or taught and preached publicly and the religious leaders didn't like what he said, for instance, in John, where he claims to, uh, before Abraham was, I am, and they got ready to take up stones, anything to keep him from the cross, because the cross is the means that God has appointed by which the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So if you can't keep him from there, then keep that message about him, crushing the head of the serpent. Silence the mouths of those that God has appointed to declare that message. Now in a secondary sense, uh, since Satan seeks the destruction of the Christ and he has failed to do that, in a secondary sense, Satan is always seeking to attack those who are united to Christ by faith and to prevent them. Now, on the one end, we mentioned this as a part of the ongoing con or the continuation of the, of the conflict between uh, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, to keep the gospel from being heard, but in addition to that, keeping those who preach the gospel from proclaiming it. That's one of the reasons I like Paul's prayer requests in, in Ephesians 6, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse uh, 19, and Paul has issued this, this prayer request. He says, pray for all men. And then in verse 19, he says, uh, he says, making supplications in verse 18 for all the saints. And then in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In other words, Paul is praying that his physical chains would not prevent him from proclaiming the gospel. That he, as a minister of the gospel, would not be silenced because of his extenuating external circumstances from proclaiming the gospel. So the way that, this, that Satan is now continuing to rail against the woman is in bringing destruction and destructive consequences to those who are 
united to the uh, to the, 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 the Messiah by faith, and also to prevent them from preaching the gospel as they should. Now that's part of the overview, this, this helicopter view of uh, chapter 12 of Revelation. And next week we will continue and pick up and, and especially pick up from um, in, verse, in, in the first part of the verse, kind of dive down into some of the details. We hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions, you can always uh, contact the church and submit those questions and we will try to bring more clarity on these issues as we unpack them. Let's ask God's time, uh, a prayer or blessings upon our time. Our God and our Father, we do thank you for this privilege of studying your word and we thank you for the sufficiency of your word. You've given it to us not only for our nurturing and our spiritual development, but you've given it to us as the basis of our hope and the basis of our, of our confidence in spite of the things that we experience. We thank you for your spirit who gives us the ability to comprehend your grace in Christ as it is set forth in your holy word. Uh, we pray that we have been clear and careful in the handling of your word, and we trust that by your spirit, your people would be able to recognize these things and to grow by them. We pray your continued blessings upon the church, both local and universal. We are reminded that we do live in difficult and perilous times, but they are times that are issued from your hand. Thank you for your grace in Christ, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you know, uh, September is the month of my vacation. And even though uh, we have lessons that will carry over for the first two Wednesdays in September, uh, we're going to have to have a, an, a, 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 an intermission. <laughs> and we will resume our look at Chapter 12 um, when I return in uh, October. So uh, be in prayer and support for the young men who will be filling this spot in my absence. But uh, yeah, we will resume our look at Revelation chapter 12 in the month of October.